Hello everyone and happy Saturday. Hopefully the sound quality will be a little better today. I got some new sound equipment and I think that'll improve things a little bit. Of course there will still be the buzzing of the air conditioning because none of you fuckers can make me turn that off. I, 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 there's, it's hot. It's really hot. It's hot where the weather people are like, this is dangerous for you hot. It's that hot that makes you constantly, when you're outside, dream of being somewhere else. And this pertains to our topic today. Because that dreaminess is the essence of what we will be talking about. Today, I am talking about magical realism. And the specific variety of magical realism that I found in Ari Aster's movies. So magical realism is a genre of books and television and all sorts of stuff. Whatever you can have a genre of, it's a genre, kind of like fantasy. Um, But there is a bit more of a casualness and a mundaneness to the magic, if that makes sense. It's one of those things that is almost best understood by a series of examples than by like me telling you what it is or trying to give a definition. Um, But I will talk about today, I'm gonna talk about some of the shows that I love that involve magical realism. And I'm gonna talk about kind of the specific brand of magical realism that I'm calling curse realism that I've noticed in Ari Aster's work such as Hereditary and most recently Midsummer. So chill out and have a word from our sponsors and I'll be right back. So I first discovered the term magical realism when I was in college. I decided to read the book 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I, I heard about him dying and what everyone was saying about that book and it drew me to it and I was blown away. Um, for anyone who hasn't read it, a hundred years of solitude is 100 years of solitude. I always forget off the top of my head. Um, it is this book that follows a family in this town of Macondo and how they kind of wax and wane with the uh, society there. Um, a lot of things happen in the book, as you can imagine, a book that takes place over generations of a family. Um, but uh, it's, you know, like, what happens almost isn't as important as how it happens, as the language it's told in. Um, now, 100 Years of Solitude is written originally in Spanish. Um, the author is Colombian. Um, and that might make the concern that the English version, which I read since I do not speak Spanish that well, would not be very good. But in fact, um, the author of the book himself loved the English version. He said potentially the English version might be better than the Spanish version, which is kind of wild to hear that. Um, and uh, I just, I loved it. And it made me really fall in love with um, 
that author's writing. Now, something that I have noticed with this author is there are two people who translate Gabriel Garcia Marquez's books. The one person is the person who translated 100 Years of Solitude. And there's another person that's um, that's translated a lot of his later work. I have found that the other person who translates it loses the art. Translation, I think, is an extremely underappreciated art form. Because you not only have to find something that matches the literal meaning of what you're saying, you have to find ways to put the art to it. There are similes, there is pictures you are panning. You have to think about what the potential ramifications and understandings are. And I found that when I read the books, the translations by the other person, they just completely lost that. So I ended up sticking entirely to books translated by the same person who, who wrote that first book. 100 Years of Solitude is one of those books that I, I could try to explain to you, and I and I would never do it justice. Um, interestingly, there's going to be a TV series based on that. I think it's on Netflix is who bought the rights, and that is very ambitious. Um, however, I do find that magical realism works very well, both on the TV and um, and in books. So it's quite possible, you know. It's it's a feeling magical realism is. It's the world feels modern and normal, but there's this touch of something like a real fable, something magical, and everyone's so casual about it because it's the everydayness of it. It is just an accepted part. And you know, when I started reading 100 Years of Solitude, that's when I got interested in this term magical realism, and that's when I realized a lot of the things that I already loved we're in this category. So I, you know, was looking at what magical realism was. And that's when I found out that Hayao Miyazaki's movies, which were kind of the base of my childhood, which I still love to this day, are actually some of the prime examples of real magical realism. And that makes so much sense because there is a lot of magic in his films. But also, there is a insistence on seeing the magic of everyday life. Um, you find characters less concerned about things like the whole area flooding terribly while you see in a way that just doesn't make sense and it's like it's an ocean. And, and then you see this magical care and detail into looking at mo at the food. Everyone always says the food in Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli movies are one of the most beautiful, just like making you, like it's just the most beautiful food and it's just such an, all of his movies have at least one scene that's kind of an ode to eating. And um, probably part of the reason why I like them so much since I love to eat. Um, the other thing that I find so, so wonderful about, I, I'm just going to have to go film by film, about the aspects of magical realism, which is so wonderful. Um, in, in Spirited Away which is one of, I think, kind of the highlight movies, a lot of people's favorites. Um, it's, it follows a little girl whose parents 
um, think that they're going into amusement park when their car breaks down. And instead, they have ended up in the spirit world. Um, they start eating because they think they'll be able to pay it back, but they have credit cards, not like real money. So, um, they get turned into pigs. Um, Chihiro had decided not to eat because she felt uncomfortable with the situation, and she's forced to kind of work to try to save her parents for this evil witch. And there's just such a naturalness to the supernatural elements of this. I mean, I guess... I feel like a lot of storytelling about the supernatural really has an emphasis on the super more than the natural. It is this crazy other different thing where you see in Miyazaki movies the feeling that these are perhaps majestic and more complicated or different versions of us. There is this feeling that it is an extension of what we have. So even though this show has people who turns into dragons, um, a no-face monster that eats people, um, twin witches, the biggest baby, just the biggest, some heads that just bounce around, um, a bird that looks weirdly like the witch, uh, a radish spirit, a mud monster that turns out to be a river god and and so much more oh a talking frog i almost forgot the talking frog even though it has all of those things it feels so real it feels like the challenges that real people face it feels like a journey that any of us could have ended up on and that's what's so lovely about that movie. Now, I will say that not all of Miyazaki's movies do fit into this category. He did do some more realistic, just regular everyday work in the earlier periods of his films. But the first Miyazaki movie I watched was Kiki's Delivery Service. Kiki's Delivery Service is about a young witch who goes off to kind of hone her craft, kind of figure out what kind of witch she wants to be and, you know, see the world. Um, another lovely movie, witches are just casually there amongst all these other people, but there's also zeppelins and, and there's definitely a steampunk element to a lot of Miyazaki's movies, which I, which I also love. Um, also, you know, along with that attention to food, there's attention to these backgrounds and settings that people have. If someone's a hoarder, you'll see all these things that all have something to say about them in the background. If someone's broke, you'll kind of see the ways that their house isn't quite up to snuff. The magic is very obvious in Kiki's delivery service. Obviously, we're talking about a story about witches. Um, but a lot of the other aspects are very human. For example, her cat Gigi can talk to her at the beginning of the film, but as she re nears the end, the cat can no longer speak with her. It kind of seems to symbolize her growing up and moving on with her life in ways. We do all lose some magic as we grow up, and it turns out that even happens to witches, believe it or not. 
it's things like that that keep a show about witches, which could be so kind of distant feeling. It keeps it grounded. It makes it continue to feel like it's of this world. Because sometimes you want to feel like there's magic in this world. Sometimes you don't want to feel like you have to go off to Hogwarts to feel magic. You want to feel like magic is across the street or in a good plate of food or in the way the sun shines on a day. You want to believe there's more to stuff than the stuff you're just paying attention to. And I think that's what's so lovely about these movies. Now, there is one more Miyazaki movie that really tugs at my heart. I would say that this is probably my favorite Miyazaki movie, and that is Howl's Moving Castle. You know, Howl's Moving Castle is a story about a wizard who turn who um gets a girl he met turned into an old woman who's known for eating hearts. Um, who, who made some other witches very mad at him, who's kind of a rebel, who fights some monsters made out of volunteer soldiers, but that is, you know, treated casually, it is primarily set dressing for a movie that I believe is the movie that feels most like feeling the feeling of falling in love. I, When you watch that movie, you see the gradualness of someone's care for another person grow between the two of them. You see two people learn to understand each other. This is one of the most real human things. And to see it portrayed so well in a movie that involves a castle that looks like a giant toad that walks on four legs through a wasteland. Sorry if you can hear the thunder in the background. It's thundering. Um, but that would be very atmospheric for a Miyazaki movie. Um, in a movie where people, uh, where a witch is made old by the magic of another witch, where someone becomes old and young again based on the emotions of their heart and and how their state is at the moment and how they feel about themselves somehow that manages to perfectly portray the subtlety of finding your place with someone with lo losing your selfishness with learning how to accept and care for other people it is truly a masterpiece. I think everyone says Spirited Away is the best, but How's Moving Castle will always have my heart. And, um, I, you know, Miyazaki keeps saying everything's his last film, but we'll see. Um, we'll see, you know. I, I hope that even if Miyazaki is done creating, that we'll always have the magic that he created and the stories that he was able to tell 
So as for some other movies and books that are in the magical realism genre, um, Pan's Labyrinth is supposed to be in it. I've never seen it. Oh, I guarantee the Shape of Water, probably just everything Guillermo del Toro has ever made. One of the really interesting things about magical realism is it's very popular in Latin America unless spanish-speaking authors so you're gonna see a lot of um you're gonna see a lot of spanish speakers creating magical realism and uh, i think that's awesome it also yeah i find like my quest for magical realism has led me to a lot of different languages and different authors um another movie that's been kind of cited as magical realism is amelie which lovely french film charming a film about someone who might be asexual or maybe demisexual, somewhere on the, like, not that into sex, just for sex say, sake, sake spectrum. So that's, that's really interesting, which I only just thought about it thinking about the movie now. That that's kind of an aspect of it. Beautiful, just a, a celebration of the magic of everyday life, which I think really reflects this genre. People have also said Birdman is in this genre, which really explains, I think, why I like this genre so much. Well, why I like Birdman so much. I didn't quite know why I liked Birdman so much watching it, um, but that kind of explains it pretty easily, why I liked it so much. One of the most interesting things is that as much as I love magical realism, every time I sit down, I'm like, I am going to write magical realism. I, I can't. Um, I, I, you know, one of the things about magical realism is things aren't overexplained. Things aren't overly there. And I have had a lot of trouble as a writer balancing that. I haven't been able to quite make it not fall off the, the kind of cliff into fantasy or straight science fiction. I've never been able to balance that. I think the problem is I'm such an explainer, um, which is a shock as someone who has a podcast. I know. I mean, I, I kind of have a journalism background and half of my career has been my job is explaining things to people. So um, one of the keys to magical realism is not over explaining things, letting things speak for themselves. And that's a big struggle for me as a writer. Perhaps that's part of the reason why I love it so much is it's something that I can't personally do. It's, it's a very hard balance to, to hit. And I think that's why I admire it so much in authors who are able to do that. Although it's funny, my reasons for not being able to do it because Gabriel Garcia Marquez like one of the most famous people who do magical realism was a journalist first. So like, I don't know, he could have been like a really bad journalist and a great writer, writer, but my shortcomings, I think come from my journalism background and what I've trained myself in, which is simply not to keep things hidden the way he does. I will never be M. Night Shyamalan. I will never be able to really twist things. It is just not where my skills lie. So now we are going to get to what is kind of my point and my thesis of this podcast so late, I know. And that is that Ari Aster is creating a form of magical realism that's dark. And I'm calling it curse realism. That's what I've kind of coined for it. Let me explain. So... 
just so you know, there's going to be spoilers for both Hereditary and Midsummer. So if you haven't watched those, I would bow out now because those movies are both worth watching. I know, I don't think, they're not perfect. Neither of these films are perfect. I think Hereditary is a bit more solid. Um, Midsummer missed more shots because it was trying to do more. I, I would go see both of them. I liked both of them. Um, not everyone does, but they're really my genre of horror. I wouldn't even say that either of them are super scary. They're just deeply unsettling. And you know what? They, they're more about anxiety. And you know what my fear feels more like? Anxiety. It feels less like running away from a guy with a saw. It feels more like anxiety. And that's the kind of horror films that Ari Aster makes. So, I only realize that... That Ari Aster's creations are very much magical realism um, in the middle of Midsummer, and I think part of it was the color palette helped me realize that there is a scene where people are on drugs and flowers kind of begin moving, almost singing, and everything in the space is moving along and that's when I realized that I felt like I was watching a Miyazaki movie in a way even though it was a horrible terrifying Miyazaki movie and, and that made me look back at what I had seen so far what I had seen so far in that movie but also in Ari's last movie um Hereditary that there is a certain amount of absolute connection to magical realism in his work you there the way the colors are made the unraveling of the mysteries the subtle magic in both of his works both his works are about cults and the fear of the magic within these cults both of them have these sites that are homages to landscape and to nature whether it's the rolling hills we see in hereditary or these shots of flowers and and the woods in midsummer um in hereditary we see this this uh this kind of focus this magical realism in the witchcraft in that movie now the witches or demon worshippers, whatever they may be, are very different from the witches in Kiki's delivery service. There is this process of a of an, a discovery of magic. There is this process of an unraveling what the meaning is, is of things. There is symbolism in little things. We see this mostly in the dollhouse. Um, and we also see this on how the film is kind of shot like you're walking through a dog dollhouse in Hereditary. Um, obviously, the end finale is not a ride on the dragon. It is a series of terrible murders created by ghosts. But, uh, you know, there's a fantasticness to all of them. There's a man who, the one of the characters just catches on fire and it's slow and beautiful. Um, the end scene where all the cult members are bowing to this one character that has been um, inhabited by the demon, which is his dead sister is 
beautiful and resemble and extravagant in a way that resembles like the piled pillows and the scene in the witch's house in Spirited Away. There is a beauty in it, but it does not have the brightness of it. It has a darkness. It has that curse, that 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 evil to it. It is breathtaking and it is magical and it is terrifying and it is ter- telling you instead of beautiful things about fram- family and love it is telling you terrible things about anxiety and how people fall apart together so i've also heard magical realism called fabulism and i think that you see those connections more than anything in midsummer midsummer has so many aspects of both the aesthetics and the substance of fables. So Midsummer is about a girl who is in kind of this shitty relationship. She receives a disturbing text from her sister, her boyfriend, tells her not to worry about it, but her sister murder-suicided her parents and herself. Um, So yeah, obviously she's fucked up. Who wouldn't be? Um, Horiaster loves to make the main characters just go through the fucking shitter of shit knee shit shit. He breaks down his characters within like the first act of his movie so that he can move forward from it. It's very fascinating. I love it. Um, so <clears throat> immediately, even though we haven't even started to the culty part, we have a lot of symbolism of little girls with bears, you know, like Little Red Riding Hood. You see this all behind the characters. There is a very much subtle fairy tale aspect to the decor you see. So Danny is told kind of last minute that her boyfriend and all their friends are going to this once every 90 year festival in Sweden that their that their grad school friend is going to. And she's like, well, sure, I'll go. And her boyfriend is not excited, but um, the guy who invited them is. So they go there. They immediately take mushrooms, which gets them. And the author visual, the director visualizes what it looks like to take mushrooms, which very much gives it that spirited away house moving castle feel. The, the whole landscape around her is breathing as they're taking mushrooms and then she goes into a bad trip because of course she does. Who lets your friend do hallucinogens when their family recently murdered ev- their family member was all murdered by their other family member? Friends don't let friends do hallucinogens when they're in that terrible medical state. I don't even do drugs but I know that much about drugs. Um, so... <laughs> So yeah, obviously she freaked out and then her boyfriend gets mad at her for like running away in the woods and missing. It's dumb. Don't worry about it. Just mm. her boyfriend's terrible. And as you know, we expect in magical realism, there is not too much reaction to the mysticism happening. There's horror to violence which break us out of the moment of that mysticism sometimes or are an extension of the mysticism but the people aren't shocked at things like being so much you know 
oh, you guys are a matches because of your star sign or or the way the whole earth is moving with them or how bodies have seemed to do things that they couldn't possibly do in the time frame they had, um, how the trees grew, you know, in the form of those people who had died and whose ash had been placed on the tree. Um, you also see a lot of fable. The the fables are very apparent. For example, you see how um, the the jackass douchebag of the group is captured, <laughs> tempted by the thing he wants most, pussy. In this case, it's pussy, and um, he dies for it. Um, the guy played by Cheedy from The Good Place, whose character is in essence Cheedy from The Good Place. Um, the actor's great. I don't know his name. He is tempted by knowledge. And um, he, he is killed by knowledge, in essence. Um, <laughs> that happens. Um, there is some other... There's a lot of imagery that is just grotesque and wild um for example someone's put in this awful yes real viking torture position where they're kind of like hung by their exposed lungs but they're covered in flowers so it's beautiful at the same time um there is the dance scene which the editing and the way that they overlay to kind of display the sanity the insanity of the event is beautiful and it really places you in this wild mental state the you see that some of the events that happen in this occasion are quilted onto you know the sides of are quilted onto like blankets that are out and displayed or they're on the sides of the buildings on like these beautiful paintings that adorn it everything is about is telling the story that's happening or telling the story that will happen this is it all feels so much like an aesop's fable the foils of people become their 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 folly a man who isn't able to commit to his girlfriend is then chosen for death by her because of how he acted. Danny, in the end, the main character, is the person who's been most unguilty, except for maybe the two British people who just kind of die awfully. Um, mostly because I, I think he wanted, the, the other character wanted him, the, the other girl, to be the 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 may queen but um danny was picked instead um and the other girl connie had found a fiance by then way too quick but by then i i think the brother had wanted to bring another girl home for that purpose but it hadn't worked out um yeah um i think you know ultimately you see a you see that magic has different sides with Ari Aster's films. His films are magical, but in the worst, most dark ways. And yet, it's beautiful. It's beautiful in its darkness and its terror. And and that's that's why I like them so much. So this is why I've decided that 
Ari Aster's film, sorry, new genre I like to call cursed realism. I am so excited for every new thing that he comes out with. I truly believe he has not yet created his magnum opus. I think he is working his way there. I think Hereditary was a wonderful start. I think Midsummer is him trying to be more, um, he's trying to be more ambitious with his work. You see that very much in this movie, in that movie. And he doesn't hit everything with his ambitions. He doesn't quite make it there. But I think that eventually we'll find that mix of hitting your notes and ambition in his future works. And I'm really excited to see them. And that is it for our show, folks. I hope that you enjoyed, and I'd love to hear any of the magical realism that you love. I'd love to hear you talk about other books and movies that you think fit into this this genre. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to do some more. I would, I'm hoping to do a future episode on fan fiction, so if anyone has any of their favorite fan fictions they want to sh- share with me, please let me know. You can re- reach out to me on Obsessed With Me on Facebook. You can also reach out to me on my Facebook page, Lindsay Schley, L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y-S-C-H-L-E-Y, or on Instagram at Fool, F-E-N-N-E-C-F-O-O-L. And all right, everyone, have a wonderful weekend and go love something. Bye!